Good day, and welcome back to Latin II from the Church of St. Agnes. Today, we will explore Unit 17 in the Collins book. It's a much more simple lesson than the last one. I think you'll be glad to hear. And um, one that uh, contains a couple important points of grammar, but nothing too complicated. Now, before we get started, I'd like to make an announcement, which I'll repeat uh, again at the end of the uh, lesson. Uh, we will, because of the cr upcoming Christmas and New Year's holidays, we will not be having a Latin recording posted on next Sunday. This one, of course, will be, as you're listening to it, has been posted on December 20th. We will skip the following week to give us a break for celebrating Christmas and New Year's. And we will post Unit 18 on the following week. So we will give you a week off in between to celebrate the Holy Days with your family and to catch up on all of your Latin. With that said, let's turn to page 135, Unit 17, and we see that our grammar portion, the bulk of our grammar portion in this particular unit has to do with two irregular verbs in Latin. These are irregular verbs, meaning they don't quite follow the set patterns that you've learned about, about uh, your other conjugations. But these verbs are extremely important. The first one you see there is the verb volo, vele, volui. No principal part. When a Latin verb doesn't have all of its principal parts, we call that verb defective. This particular verb has three principal parts. Volo, vele, volui. And you can see by the second principal part that infinitive uh, doesn't look uh, much like it, the, it would come from the first principal part. It doesn't follow your normal pattern. This verb is extremely important. It means to wish, to want, to be willing. And it is often followed by a complementary infinitive. I wish to do something, right? Um, because the verb wish is an important word in any language, uh, you can see that volo in Latin is going to be important. Uh, you see also in the middle of your page there that Collins has supplied for you the present indicative of the verb, because this is where we see its uh, most irregular form. Notice the conjugation in the present indicative. Volo vis vult, volumus vultus and volunt. Now, the rest of the verb is fairly regular, and I would like to point out to you, if you haven't already noticed, that the back pages of your book ha contain an appendix called morphology, and in that appendix, uh, Collins has placed for you all conjugations of verbs, all declensions of nouns, and all of your forms for ready reference. So if you turn to page 401 at the back of your book now, please do so, you will see the full conjugation of the verb volo. There it is in the present. In the middle of the page, volo vis vult volumus vultus volunt. Notice the imperfect is formed in a regular fashion. Volebam, volebas, volebat, volebamus, volebatis, volebant. 
as you would expect. But the future is like a third conjugation verb with the E as the sign of the future. No bobis bit here. Volam, voles, volet, volemus, voletus, volet. And then you'll see that the perfect system is perfectly regular. Get that pun? Perfectly regular. Yes, you go to the third principal part, drop the I and add the endings. E is the it, imus istus, and erunt. In the pluperfect, you add eram, eras, erat, and so forth. And in the future perfect, ero, eris, erit. And of course, the subjunctives we'll get to later. There is your entire verb for volo. Please read it over several times, study it, learn it, because it's an important verb. The second irregular verb that Collins presents to you in this, in this particular unit is the verb eo, eo, ire, evi, or ee, and itus. Now, looking at that and seeing the long ire in the infinitive, you would expect, ah, yes, this is a fourth conjugation verb. And indeed it is, but it has some irregularities, again, primarily in the present and also in the future tense. Now, if you turn back to your morphology appendix in the back of the book on page 398, you will see the entire conjugation of the verb eo. And there it is at the top of the page on 398. Eo, is, it, imus, itus, and eoant in the present. Notice the imperfect. Ebom. You would expect perhaps eabom, but no, here it's ebom, ebos, ebot. Ibamus, ibatis, ibant, meaning I was going. And the future. And as a fourth conjugation verb, you would expect A and then E in the future, but no, here we have bobis bit. So that's the irregularity. Ibo, ibis, ibit, ibimus, ibitis, ibunt. Right? Okay, so there you see irregularities. Now in the perfect, again, the verb is regular. You go to the third principal part, which is EV, drop the I and add the endings for all perfect, pluperfect, and future perfect forms. Notice there's an alternate third person. Instead of EV, it is sometimes EE, uh, and you see the alternate forms there in parentheses. So, uh, there you can see uh, your full conjugation of the verb AO. And if you look down uh, about three quarters of the page after the subjunctive, you see the participles for eo. Ens, uh, then in the perfect etum or etus aum, and then the future eturus and eundum, slightly irregular. Now, the reason that eo is such an important verb is, of course, going is an important notion in any language, but in Latin, Eo is compounded in literally scores of ways with prefixes in Latin that um, express some sort of going and sometimes change the uh, whole meaning of the word. So if you take a look on page 138, we'll see what we're talking you'll see what we're talking about here. Uh, look at the bottom of the page in the first column. You see the verb eo, ire, evi, itus, to go. And then, as we mentioned, Collins has this uh, convention in his book uh, 
of putting all of those compounded verbs that are related to AO underneath the verb. Um, it makes it sort of a hassle when you go to look up the verb in the dictionary in the back of the book because you have to look up the root verb, the main verb, the uncompounded verb to find all of these compounds. But take a look at the list of verbs that are compounded from the verb ao. We have ab ao to go away from. We have ad ao to go to. Circum ao to go around. Ex ao to go out. You get the idea. We get the word exit from that. In ao, inire, to go in. And then we have a couple interesting ones. Intereo, which literally means to go between, but it takes on the meaning in Latin to die. And if you look down, skip in troeo for a minute and go down to obeo and pereo, those others also mean to meet first, but then to die. I guess it has something to do with <coughs> perhaps meeting one's fate. Uh, look at introeo. We get the introire, introit from that. Introibo altari dei. As we in the old mass begin the prayers at the foot of the altar. Introibo altari dei. Ad deum quilitificat juventutum meum. I shall go to the altar of God, to God who gives joy to my youth. Those of you who know the old mass will know that prayer. We have prieo to go before, prodeo to go forth. Redeo, to go back, to return. Subeo, to go under. Tronzeo, to go across. So these are just uh, some, but very many, of the compounds of the verb eo. So you can see why it's an extremely important verb for you to know. Get to know its forms. Familiarize yourself. Check it out on page 398 um, for the full conjugation of the verb. Now, uh, the other piece of grammar that Collins includes here is logical because when you're going somewhere, you have to deal with place constructions in Latin. So if we look on pages 90, uh, 136 and 137, you see that Collins introduces um, place constructions. Now you basically already know these. Um, if we wanted to say, for instance, uh, I am going to the church. We would use the accusative of place to or into which. And in Latin, we would use ad plus the accusative. I am going ad ecclesiam or in ecclesiam, into the church or to the church. If we wanted to designate place, where in Latin you already know, if I said to you, sum in ecclesia, you would translate that pretty easily. I am in ecclesia, in the church, in plus the ablative. And if I wanted to express a, a motion away from, I am going from the church, you would say a, ab ecclesia, or ex ecclesia, out of the church. These are your commonplace constructions. But Latin, as often, throws a little bit of a curveball at you. Now, if we were studying classical Latin, we would talk about not just the place constructions that I mentioned, but a special group of place constructions. And these have to do with the names of cities, towns, small islands, 
the word domus, house, and the word rus, rurus, country or countryside. The names of cities, towns, small islands, domus, and rus. When we're dealing in classical Latin with those group of words, we do place constructions in a different way. So that in classical Latin, with the names of cities like Roma, for instance, Rome, place to which is expressed simply by the accusative without a preposition. And place from, so it would be, I'm going Romam, to Rome, no odd, no in. If I were saying, I'm going from Rome, in classical Latin, I would simply say Roma, ablative, without a preposition. And if I were saying, I am at Rome, okay, or in Rome, I would use what's called the locative case. Now, the locative case is a case from Indo-European that comes into Latin that is only used in these instances. Locative comes from the Latin word locus, which means place. It describes the place where. And in classical Latin, the locative case is used to express being, say, at Rome or in Rome. Now, what is the locative case? Well, it's pretty simple. In the first and second declensions, singular nouns like Roma, it's the exact same as the genitive. So, Rome. If I have a place name of the first and second declension that is in the plural all the time, like the word Athens, if you look on page 138, the word Athene, Athens is always plural, then it looks like the ablative, Athenis. Third declension place names like Carthago, Carthage, in the ablative singular. That's the lock, that's what the locative is. Now, I said in classical Latin, with the names of cities, towns, small islands, domus, and rus, the locative is used for place where. The accusative by itself is used for place toward, motion toward. The ablative is used for motion away from or place from which or out of which. The thing about ecclesiastical Latin is it will do things in a much less rigorous fashion. In other words, you will see with the names of cities, towns, small islands, domus and rus, the locative used for place where sometimes, but not all the time, sometimes you will see actually a preposition. So you might see in Roma, um, but again, you might see just Rome in Rome or Ephesi at Ephesus as indicated in your book. So the idea, um, what we see in, in, in ecclesiastical Latin is, is a language that is alive and, and it's changing and uh, it's tending as languages do to simplify rather than to get more and more complex. Um, and depending on the author and how well schooled he is, in classical Latin, and somebody like, for instance, St. Jerome or St. Ambrose or St. Augustine uh, knows classical Latin beautifully. Uh, others uh, aren't so attuned to the, to the classics. Um, 
it, depending on the author, you will see place names handled in various ways. None of this should throw you, except perhaps the occasional use of the locative in ecclesiastical Latin to show place where. So with a verb of motion or a verb of resting, and you want to say, I am uh, sitting here at Rome or in Rome, you may just see Rome. There again, in another author, you may see in Roma. So just be aware of that. Okay, so that basically covers our entire grammar for this lesson. As I said, uh, this unit is a much simpler unit than 16. Um, we have these two irregular verbs. We have the vocabulary, which is important because of all the compounded forms of eo. And we have place constructions in Latin to deal with. Uh, and that is a rather simple, simple exercise. Um, so if we uh, take a look uh, for our homework on page 141, I'd like you to do this week, um, as we did last time, under the drills section, Roman numeral two, to give you practice with that irregular verb AO, to go. Um, do those 10 short sentences. They're quite simple, quite, quite short, and they'll give you, um, they'll give you an idea about the way uh, place names are sometimes uh, uh, used in Latin. Uh, then for our uh, regular exercises, as we've been doing, we will work on these uh, longer sentences. And this week, again, please do the odd numbered exercises. I repeat, the odd numbered. So one, three, five, seven, nine, so on to the end. We will go over these uh, as we've been doing in a second audio tape, which will be posted midweek before Christmas. And it will give you an opportunity to uh, study your Latin and uh, check out these sentences. So remember what I said in the beginning. Um, next Sunday, we will not be posting a new audio tape for chapter 18, but rather we will be taking one week break for Christmas and New Year's to celebrate with your families and friends, and then we will get back to Unit 18 the following week. This will not only give you a break to celebrate the Holy Days, but it will also give you a little extra time to do some catching up on your Latin, which I would imagine some of you need to do. So thank you for your attention. Uh, I want to wish you at this point a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, and may it be a holy and blessed one for you and your family. And we'll see you again. We'll talk to you again uh, midweek and then again uh, the following week into the new year for our next unit. Have a good day and God bless you. Bye-bye.